0: Hi, it's Jay Keith. It's Wednesday.
2: Talking SoCon hoops. A lot of SoCon hoops. We'll talk a little ETSU matchup versus uh, Mercer on the men's, ETSU women, the Catamounts, Western Carolina. But we want to talk a lot of SoCon because we've got yes. more games. We've got a bigger sample size. We've got, you know, better look at standing. So want to look at results. Want to look at standings. Want to look at matchups coming up this week a little bit. I don't know if it's a full deep dive, but certainly we're going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, standings, results, and where we are because you're about getting close to the halfway point uh, mm-hmm. for the men's and almost halfway point we for the will, women. We'll
0: make the turn this week for the men. So, got a shot. Did you like that? I brought in I brought in the golf the golf uh, uh, term. We make the turn. I we're did. going onto the back nine. Literally, it's the back nine on the men's side, and it's the uh, back seven for women's basketball citadel VMI. i'm just glad you know some golf Mm -hmm. it makes me excited i do know some yeah
2: well right now it's sanford and the others because they're on an eight game win streak eight no in league play uncg a game behind them at seven and one then Furman six and two then you got a couple teams at four and four that's the catamounts western carolina your buccaneers of etsu then three teams at three and five citadel wofford chattanooga mercer at two and six And VMI at 0 and 8 on a current 10 game slide. So, a couple of things. I guess let's look at um, let's go over last week's results quickly on the men, then we'll give thoughts on the teams. I thought VMI had their best shot at a victory last week. I I think they could still get a win, and it'll probably shock somebody. I don't know if they have more than one win. If I had to set the total win total for VMI at 0.5. (laughs) <laughs> would Ooh. you take the over or would you take Ooh. the under on VMI right now? Point 0.5. So they only gotta win one game for you
0: to, to win. Would you take the over or the under? They play at Charleston on the second, right? Or at, at the Citadel. They play in Charleston on February second. Yep. Do they still they still have to play the Citadel at home? Nope, they just lost to them at home. Saturday. Under. That was their best chance to win. That was it. They blew it. Okay. They, <laughs> they they might they there's a very real chance they will not win a game in league play this year.
2: UNCG continues to play you know ridiculous defense. They held Mercer to 48 points. Um they score I mean again, if you can get to like 65, you got a shot to beat UNCG. If you don't get to 65, they are unbelievable. Uh their win percentage Western Carolina loses at Sanford, 74-65. A little bit of an entertaining game for a while. Then Sanford, mm-hmm. able to do Sanford things. Quest Glover finally got some game time action. So, if, if an 8-0 team wasn't enough to to, to kind of get you going. And then Furman, I, I thought an impressive 96 points against Wofford. Uh, 96-82 on ESPNU. Tight game first half. Then Furman just flexed. And, uh, Somewhere the, the, the Mike Young-Wofford uh, defensive uh, prowess team is rolling over right now because yeah. they give up 96 to Furman. And Furman is starting to, I don't know, if turn the corners the right way. I mean, it's not like they're nothing. Uh, I mean, if you look yeah. at them, I mean, they're 6-2. and two. You're talking about a, a loss at home at UNCG. You're talking yep. a loss against Sanford. Other than that, they've beaten everybody else so far that they have played. Yeah. Um, but they've had some other guys start to step up and, and have big games. I mean, they had a couple of 20-point affairs. Uh, well, actually, they had three guys with 20. we scored 96. You're going to have a lot of points there. But uh, J.P. Begeese with 24, Alex Williams with 20. Those are names, you know, you're not really expecting to see that monster. I mean, if, you know, Garrett Heen played five minutes, Foster 17. Vanderwall with 11. Carter Wit played 13 minutes. Who's finally back playing. Had the big three a few games ago, but he didn't score. But Furman, I, I think they're getting – they're still only doing uh, Bob Ritchie type things with six players, maybe a seventh guy. And that's still – until he proves me wrong. Now, I get Bob Ritchie this. And I get Bob Ritchie a hard time on one thing, which he only usually plays six players and they get to the tournament – it seems like they don't have enough legs. Yeah. They usually lose. Yeah. Last year, they played more guys, more minutes. They got to a title game, and it was a miracle shot that beat them. I mean, David Jean-Baptiste yeah. hit uh, – I maybe miracle's too strong, but he, he hit a very tough shot um, to yep. win the game at the yep. buzzer. One of the yep. shots, you know, it was played forever because of just the timing of it, going to the tournament, all that. You know, sixty year, whatever he was, sixth, seventh year senior, and, and able to get it to go, but – Furman had more guys averaging more minutes last year. It's documented. You can go back to our previous podcast, and of Sidekick. You can follow. I mean, I, I was all over that. This year, it seems like they're back to six guys getting a majority of the minute with three to four guys playing 32, 33 minutes, give or take. And I, I still say that's my one concern with Furman. And then I have some defensive concerns with Furman. Um, that I think could cost them when it gets to tournament time. Now, the other thing is, is every time – let me give Bob Ritchie this credit. Every time I think they lose some guys and they're not going to be able to replace them or nobody's going to be able to step up or it's guys I, you know, nobody's really heard of because he doesn't use a bench a lot, so you do not heard of some of these guys, he continues to develop and their starting five is always as good as anybody in the league. I mean, and I, I – hands down, Bob Ritchie does a great job of developing from the time they come on campus – and getting them to stay for a year or two, buying in, and then, bam, he gets them to produce. Yep. And in the next two years, obviously now with COVID, they get, some get three years, but it seems like the freshmen, they don't get to play a lot. Sophomore, maybe they see a little bit of action. All of a sudden, bam, junior, they're starting, they're good. Senior, bam, they're good. They get a fifth year, bam, they're good. So give Bob Ritchie all the credit um, I can there because I think that he, you know, his starting fives always seem, uh, and maybe it's because they all they all play a majority of the game and all have opportunities um you know to, to get the the chance at scoring or getting more chance at the ball, but I mean they got four guys averaging 28 minutes or more three guys over 30 minutes. And again, they got and some of these I would like to see a conference Let's see if I can see a conference only. here we go. So conference only, they've got four guys averaging 32 minutes or more. Mm-hmm. I just to me that that's always that's gonna lot. be the problem. That's a lot, that's a, it's a handful of guys
0: playing a lot of minutes. Yeah,
2: I, I just I just think that's gonna be a problem uh, when it when it gets down to the conference time. But that being said, I'm gonna uh, offensively they're starting to click a little more. They're getting some more production besides you know Slosson and um, Bothwell. Now we've seen Foster have some big games. Now all of a sudden you're seeing Williams, you're seeing Big Geese, you've seen, you know, other players that uh, Garrett Heans had some big games for him as well. So I, I mean Furman's got all the pieces. Again, I, I don't know if they continue to play that many minutes, how they're going to do. And they're going to be tested Wednesday and what will be the game of the night, which will be Sanford at Furman.
0: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's gonna be the the defining game uh maybe of the SOCON regular season. Because if Furman can't beat Sanford on their home floor Who's gonna beat Sanford? And they still have to go. They still have to go to Callaway next week. But after that, I mean, you're at Chattanooga. You're at VMI. I mean, the road schedule for the Bulldogs in the second half of the SoCon season is not that daunting.
2: Right, and the the, the best matchup they would have had on the road so far on paper, besides Furman, was UNCG, which they held on to a two point win at UNCG.
0: Yes. So like. You're looking at at Furman, at Wofford, at Western. If they come out of this stretch unblemished, nobody—I don't think anybody's going to touch them. I just think that they might lose one. They might lose to UNCG at home because UNCG plays good defense and defense travels. But th- this team might very well go like 17 one in SoCon play, and they're going to have a tiebreaker against pretty much everybody. Because at that point, if they win that game, and let's say. Uh, UNCG drops one this week, and Sanford keeps rolling. They beat Furman, um, and then they beat Western Carolina. UNCG loses to Furman at home on Sunday. Suddenly, Sanford has a two-game lead on the entire SoCon with seven, eight games left. That's that's nuts. And, and to your point. Look at Sanford's rotation, right? You know, Furman's playing so many guys, heavy minutes. Jermaine Marshall's going to play a lot, right? Down the stretch, he's going to play a whole lot of minutes. Bubba Parham's probably going to play a lot of minutes, but Quez Glover scored 20 and 25 minutes against Western. Logan Die still going to contribute meaningfully. Parham is going to contribute meaningfully. He played big minutes there uh, against, against the countermounts but he doesn't have to play big minutes. Jerron really can hold down a role for 20 minutes and not be a complete negative to your team. Nathan Johnson can shoot it a little bit from the outside and brings a little bit of length that can defend a variety of different positions. You know, you can go to the bench for Jaden Campbell and Stat McCray and uh, Achora Achor, who just has you know phenomenal hops on both ends of the floor and can get a bit up. Bit of a and freak athletically, seriously. He is He's a really. Freak he's really impressive with his verticality and he uses that to protect the rim he uses that to attack the rim and he can go out there and play 15 minutes and you rotate nine guys and it's a true nine player rotation this Sanford team just feels like a freight train that has hit full speed that is barreling down the tracks and- now now or, or perhaps you would prefer this. Uh, with Glover healthy, we can now witness the power of this fully armed and operational battle station. <laughs> Good. They,
2: Sanford, they've done a great job. They have, I think, Buckyball Ball is, is transformed to where they were trying to score like a thousand points and up and down and beat you with fifteen guys playing. To he's figured out. Well maybe my top eight or nine guys should play. Yes. <laughs> maybe maybe it is okay if we don't press the whole game, but pick and choose and do some play. So I think he's adjusted his buckyball in year three to what is a winning formula with some key pieces. You know, sometimes
0: it's I about still the can't Jimmy and believe Jones, This right? team lost to an NAIA school that used to be Martin Methodist. They still got that going for them, uh, which gives I still, I a just lot cannot of fans pleasure. That. I can't believe this is the same team that lost that game.
2: And and lost in that mix, besides Sanford and Furman, is UNCG, which they, don't, they do a lot of things really, really, really well. Other than holding teams' points totals low, I don't know what they're great at, but they're not bad at anything. I mean, they're, yeah. they're middle of the road in about every statistical category except for points allowed, and they're gritty. And Coach uh, Mike does a great job, Coach Jones, of you know getting the defense all bought in. And so they're kind of the mix because they were in that, for me, kind of that early Tier 2. Now, Chattanooga was the one that dropped from Tier 1, Tier 2. Now, obviously, without Jake Stevens, and we're going to get there in a second because right now it does seem like a three-team race uh, for the top of the league with Furman having to bring Sanford – Back down to the pack uh, this mm-hmm. Saturday. Otherwise, it's 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 a two uh, two team race between Sanford and UNCG at that point, point. Yep. and UNCG would have to win on the road to even do that. But Furman's going to be a, I think, a top three team uh, just the way they're playing right now, um, barring anything uh, catastrophic or injury or something like. Uh, they're going to be a top three team. UNCG, you mentioned it, the defense travels. Um, Langley just gets better and better. Uh, they've added a couple uh, new guys to the mix, but there's still some of the old familiar names that we've seen. The Baslidas and Muhammad Abdullah Salam and all them are still in there. And then from there, I I think other than VMI, I could almost make a case for every single team. Maybe maybe Mercer got a little. I know they only two games back of Western and ETSU. So I mean, you could still make a case. Four through nine could be decided. Any which way, and there's going to be a couple of games. I mean, like Citadel can help themselves out. Like they play Western, they knock off Western at home. Now they're going to go to Coloey. You know, if Citadel wins at, they're four and five. Then Western goes to four and five. If Mercer wins, they go to three and six. ETSU would go to four and five. I mean, you get all these scenarios that are jumbled up, and then the biggest question will be that that Wofford chat game, where both are three and five coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, the middle of the pack is going to be a dogfight to see who can stay out of the Friday night 7-10, 8-9 matchups. Oh, who's who's going to stay out of the 7-8-9 seeds? Because 10 is set. VMI is set. They are the mm-hmm. 10 seed. It is not going to matter. But I can make an argument for all these. And there's a couple key matchups for Chattanooga. I mean, sitting there at 3-5, and five, they've got Wofford and ETSU. You know, mm-hmm. one team a game above and one team they're tied with. Citadel, they've got West Carolina, and then they got Mercer. And that's another one. Like, they're just kind of – so this is going to be an interesting here because I don't know right now, out of Western, ETSU, Chat, Wofford, Citadel, Mercer, if if I had to say, you know, which one of those for sure, the last ten games would be better than all the rest. I'd have to look at some scheduling just to make sure I I knew what was what. Like, ETSU has not played – UNCG yet they're right, going to, have to play UNCG correct. twice so that would be a little bit of a tougher task. Chattanooga is going to be without Jake Stevens for an ex- extended period of time. Are they going to be able to figure out defensively? You know how to play without him. I think offensively they seem to to have some answers. They didn't have a guy to make a basket when he stopped the bleeding, but to me it was the defense where they were really really lost without Jake Stevens calling out all the the zone matchups and things that they do. Wofford's a team that. I don't know because they don't defend as well as they used to. B.J. Mack has not had the monster year. I think everybody thought – he's still an awesome player, but he's not had the year Mm -hmm. everybody thought he would be. Western Carolina, if they hit ten, nine, ten threes, they pretty much win most of the games, if not all of them. Most. I think they've lost a couple with nine threes made. But they hit ten, eleven, twelve threes. They're going to win a lot of games. Can they win enough to be in that four seed still? I'm not sure. And Mercer – looked to have kind of – you know, I know they won two games and it was ETSU and VMI, but they had won a couple. They were starting to look a little different. Then, you know, UNCG put the clamps on them, and they only scored 48 points. So, there, there's deficiencies in every team that is there. But if I said they're all 0-0 last ten games without having – you know, we don't have enough time to look up all of them. I mean, who do you think would come out of the pack there with the best record of the last ten?
0: Just the caliber of t- – team. I mean – Almost all of these teams are in some way flawed or broken, right? I and mean, you just look at ETSU, ETSU is without Josh Taylor. He's a starting uh has been at times a starting 3, at times a starting 4 for the Bucks. Uh that's an important rim protector, three-point shooter, guy who can attack the rim offensively and score over longer defenders in ways that maybe some of ETSU's other players cannot with his explosiveness to the basket he's not there. He's gone. Um, you know, we don't know what the future holds for DeAnthony Tipler. He stepped away from the program, but there is no information on a return or if he's definitively not gonna, we, we don't know. It's, it's kind of in a weird liminal space. So it's difficult to make projections of ETSU. It's difficult to make projections of Chattanooga because they have to overcome the absence of the guy who was probably going to be the player of the year in the SOCON, and now suddenly I think that race has kind of opened up a little bit, and Dark Horse guy Jermaine Marshall at Sanford, by the way, averaged 15.5-12 over the last week, SOCON player of the week. Um, When he was here, he just took over the ballgame. He couldn't do anything wrong. And If he continues to play like that the rest of the year, we're going to have to have a serious conversation about him at the end of the season, certainly uh, looking at at some all-conference accolades. But anyway, Chattanooga has to overcome adversity of the absence of a player. Wofford had a coaching change in the middle of the season. How has that impacted the team? How does that impact the team long-term and their ability to compete with Sanford, with UNCG, with Furman, and the games that they need to win to try to move up the ladder a little bit? Western Carolina is so hot and cold. When they're on, they are blistering hot. They cannot miss. They score in the 80s. They dominate you with the three-point shot. But when they are not hitting threes with consistency, when they're shooting less than 30% from three, Typically, because let's—I mean, let's be honest—they're probably about you know ten of thirty-three or ten of thirty-two in a given game, and that's enough for them to win. If they're shooting less than that, ugh, perish the thought. But you never know what you're going to get with them. It's a—it's a roll of the dice every time. Um, all of these teams have some level of um, adversity they have to overcome, and Mercer just has to overcome a miserable start. They were awful. To begin the year, they came to Johnson City, and it feels like they finally found something, and now they've been able to, to to string together a couple of wins. I know they lost last time out, but they've been able to put together a couple of wins in league play and finally get themselves back in the fight. The Citadel, to me, I just don't think has the horses at the end of it all to do it. I think it's a weird place to go play. It's a difficult place to win, but it's by no means an impossible place to win. And, and I think you're going to see some of the better teams in the league go to Charleston, walk away with dubs, and, and that's going to hurt their chances. Uh, to me, the team that has the best shot of coming out of that that mix um, and, and avoiding playing on Friday is probably Western because I think their deficiencies are things that they can adjust and overcome to or overcome a uh, uh, in terms of just the personnel that they have because you have a player when your primary scoring options aren't working you can just tell Vontarius Woolbright, go get us a bucket go get us a layup stop passing be selfish take shots score get us some eat, get us some twos get us in a rhythm and maybe that can get us out of a three point slump i just don't Chattanooga, i don't think has anybody on, on their line, on their roster card that is going to be able to do what Jake Stevens did for them in terms of protecting the rim, in terms of stopping the bleeding when they're going through a protracted drought. I mean, they went almost the last six minutes of the game without scoring against DTSU. Uh, Wofford is very dependent on a true freshman in Paveletsky. He's a really good true freshman, but he's still a true freshman. And at some point, every true freshman hits a wall. When does Pawlecki hit that wall and how does Wofford handle it when he does? Those are, they're just, I feel like Western has the answers to its questions already on the roster and already available to it. Where ETSU still has to figure some things out, Chattanooga still has to figure some things out, Wofford still has to figure some things out, Mercer just has to dig itself out of a hole.
2: Well, and this week, In a big hole. And this week, Western plays Citadel at home, then they go at VMI, so they got a chance to. So pick this up is two a wins. chance for
0: them to get, yeah. They, this is this is get right week. Right, the
2: they Cubs. they they could get two wins there, uh, and again, I I think there's a lot of a little bit of that middle of the pack. Uh, it's either going to be more jumbled, or you should, or you could see a little bit of separation. I mean, if Citadel were to drop to Western Carolina, Mercer, that shakes some things up. But in the same token, if Citadel goes one and one, or Citadel were to go two and zero, oh, that shakes some things up. So Chattanooga's got Wofford, ETSU. Wofford's got a chance to win on the road at Chattanooga, but then they got to play home Sanford, who's against still the undefeated team. And the one thing, you know, on Sunday, the Furman-UNCG game. I mean, this is a big week for Furman. They host Samford on
0: Wednesday, and then Sunday they go to UNCG. This determines whether Furman has any shot at winning the regular season title. Now, they could still obviously get hot in March in Asheville and win the tournament, but yeah, if you don't win these two games, you really need to win both of them. If you win both of them, it's game on. If you lose both of them, shut her down. You're done. You are you are fighting to stay ahead of Western and ETSU at that point. A team that Furman was decisively better than on ETSU's home floor earlier this month. Uh, I just and also a, a team that inexplicably lost to Western Carolina in Culloway. Um this is the make or break stretch for Furman. Right here, right now. It's right in front of them. I think they have the talent. The question is. Can they just go do it? Like, it, uh, I believe they can, but they got to go out and do it. And I, I don't blame people who say, I believe it when I see it, when it comes to mid-major college basketball. Speaking of which, we did see Mercer finally look like Mercer with a big win on the women's side. Uh, they, got, they got a win over Sanford, and that really just created this whole... Uh, glorious, messy jambalaya of uh, SoCon basketball standings where you have the top five teams all separated by a game and ETSU finally looks like ETSU again. It is interesting
2: because Sanford had a chance to literally, on the women's side, run away with it too because of the limited number of games. They could have gone five and zero. Oh. Mercer would have been at two and three. Then you were just talking about Wofford, Chat, UNCG, yep. kind of hanging right there. But that brought everybody back to the pack, as you mentioned. The single game Mercer at home knocking off Sanford. Now it just jumbles everything up. I mean Sanford four and one, three teams at three and two. Wofford, Chattanooga, UNCG. Oh, Mercer, four teams at three and two. I'm sorry. So it's yep. Mercer, UNCG, Wofford, Chat, ETSU, the lone team at two and three, and then Furman and Western sitting there at one and four. And so, uh, again, some teams have played five – or has everybody played – everybody's played five games uh, to this point. So, everybody gets a couple of games in this week. And for ETSU, schedule looks pretty good in theory by just looking at who they've got uh, to play. Number one, I know they've not won at home yet, but they'll get Western Carolina at home, and then they'll get uh, UNCG at home for Furman and for – Wofford they got to go to Mercer and to Sanford and then of course Chattanooga hosts Western and UNCG because they're both the travel partners and all that so uh, I mean a great chance for ETSU and for Chattanooga to continue to rack up some wins ETSU maybe gets to four and three Chattanooga maybe gets to five and two for UNCG they're like man if we get a couple road wins to go to five and two you know that would be outstanding for them and then Mercer's got a chance to to, to kind of hold serve and Pick up a couple wins, and, you know, Sanford, same thing. So, I think this week could see a little bit more separation because if Furman were to drop a couple, they go to one and six. Western drops a couple, they go to one and six. You know, what will Wofford do? Can they split? Do they get swept? Do they take two? So, after this week, by the way, for women, it is the 100% halfway point, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, then you know then we can do all right second half it's a little more because of, they do a traditional round robin unlike the men where you know western gets to play vmi a couple times after the fact etsu is going to play uncg twice down the road so it's all not all schedules on the men are created equal on the women's side they really are they they play you know everybody one time through then they flip it they go you know uh, flop who's the home and away team and run run it back one more time so i think next week will be interesting to see. But there's a couple of interesting things. I think one with Mercer um, knocking off Sanford and, and bringing Sanford back to the pack. But now it's just a matter of, okay, w- can Wofford get one or two on the road or any yeah. against Mercer and Sanford? Can Mercer and Sanford kind of keep up with each other? And then how does it shake down UNCG Chattanooga? And then can ETSU finally get a home win and try to rack up? that? That's – there's a – it's a little more cleaner in the women's game to look at the standings and to see where things are. And especially after this week, you'll have a a, a full kind of half the picture.
0: I, I think what you have to do with the women's game is if you just look at the records and, and didn't watch the games, you think, wow, ETSU beating Wofford is a surprise. And uh, I watched that game. And let me tell you, there was nothing about it that was shocking. Nothing at all and you look at UNCG, and I don't think that is a team that is by any means unbeatable for anybody in the Southern Conference. Western Carolina beat Wofford somehow, and they're not particularly good. Um, ETSU is definitely, in my mind, after going through this whole cycle, I think they are one of the three best teams in the SOCON. They just had a stretch where they didn't play like it, and of all the teams that I think could fade in the second half, Wofford is obviously one, right? Because I I've, I've spoke to this. You know, it's it's the five-out offense. It's chucking and ducking with the threes. It's just everything about them is is messy, and it doesn't look particularly crisp. And if you shut down one player, or one player gets injured, uh, then this team just really struggles to get baskets. And throwing up threes and hoping they go in isn't really a great strategy in my mind. So I look at Wofford as a team that can be coached around when it it comes down to it. And then Chattanooga. Chattanooga played a double overtime game against Furman uh, on Saturday. Uh, There were a total of 95 points scored in that game. And Chattanooga's bench... Played a total, a total in a double overtime game. Played a total of 20 minutes out of a possible 250. That's 8%. So 92% of the minutes that were played in that double overtime 50-minute game were played by Chattanooga starters. Addie Porter didn't leave the floor. Yaz Dean played 49 minutes. So she was off the floor for maybe like 65 seconds. Uh, Sigrid daughter was off the floor for maybe 65, 70 seconds. Abby Cornelius played 42 of the 50. Raven Thompson played 40 of the 50. Man, you can't keep doing that where you have three players off the bench that maybe... Accumulate one rotation player's worth of minutes and expect to have anything left for the SoCon tournament. Sean Poppy can talk about tempo all he wants, and it's like, oh, well, it's not that hard, man. You know, like you can, you can, you can talk your way through it. You can rationalize it all you want, but if five players are playing 92% of your minutes, I don't care how few or many possessions you have in a game. You are not winning a tournament without a bench that can do something for you. And the bench played 15, or played 20 minutes and scored two points and had one rebound. No, that's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done. Uh, Samford is the team that I look at and say, okay, this is the real deal. Andrea Bailey, really good player. Um, and Gulafak is a player that ETSU frustrated in the first half at Freedom Hall second half she broke free a little bit because the main player that was defending her was knocked out of the game by a knee injury that was okay sure Samford good good team Mercer I think has some really exceptional guards I am a big fan of Angelina Gonzalez their true freshman Um, at some point She's going to hit the wall. What does that look like? But right now, she is really finding her feet as a, a true freshman in Division I college basketball and doing so quickly. And she's really fun to watch. The speed with which she plays the game, um, the aggressiveness with which she plays the game, I think is really entertaining. Uh, Amoria Neal Tyser, really, really good player. And, and, you know, Gonzalez is a player that comes off the bench for Mercer. To my point, Mercer has a couple of players that don't play the entire game and, you know, they play 15 minutes or 18 minutes, something like that, and that little bit of extra depth is going to make a difference against a team like Chattanooga. Ashley Locke played 19 minutes, scored 11 points, 9 rebounds in the win over Sanford. Gonzalez helped, uh, Evans... And uh, Neil Tyser, who did not actually play in that game uh, against Sanford. So you've got, I mean, you were arguably your best player against the Bulldogs. And now you're in a position where you are able to cultivate some depth. So if Amoria comes back in the not too distant future, next Sunday AD, hey, you have an opportunity to really get on a roll here. You have some real depth. You feel like you can put Harkless out there for ten minutes, and it's not, you know, a disaster. <laughs> uh, but in front of her, you've still got Lock. Uh, you can still put, you know, Brittany Reeves out there whenever you need uh, to uh, to to utilize um, her size in a matchup. At six foot five. You got a lot of opportunities to utilize her as a you know rim protector at this level. I mean, really, that's that's honestly the big thing, right? With a player of that size is. Go out there and don't let the other team get to the rim. Uh, but Doherty's good. Might have an off night here or there, but she's good. Evans is good. Haupt gets to the free throw line a lot. We could have a much more in-depth discussion about that, but I don't want to. Um, <laughs> and then you got Gonzalez and and uh, when they're healthy, when the whole team's healthy, Neil Tyser as well. Those are the teams I look at and say... Those two are really, really good. And everybody else, kind of like we thought at the beginning of the year, I think there are things that you're trying to work through. For ETSU now, it's where's your leading rebounder? Who who steps up on the glass? And I think we kind of got an answer. Ja'Kia Davis was really good uh, against Wofford, and she was okay against Furman, and she was making some hustle plays. But the Paladins did beat the Bucks pretty soundly on the glass. So you're still going to need a little bit more. You need Giselle Thomas involved. Uh, you're going to need Megan Downing to go out there and and get physical and, and crash and bang and uh, get you some rebounds that way as a freshman. There are going to have to be other players involved on the defensive glass. Kendall Foley is a player that has done that before and is going to need to do it again. And then you set yourself up for success with Jabo on the offensive end. ETSU, though, does have a weakness. And the weakness is not shooting now. It's rebounding. It's playing whack-a-mole, I guess, a little bit with it. Because the Bucks have been able to hit shots. They kind of hit shots in bunches, right? And then those shots kind of dry up. But over the course of a full game, it evens out to a pretty uh, optimistic percentage. If I were to say to you right now. Um ETSU is the third best team in the SoCon. If you've watched every team in the SoCon, I think you'd have a tough time disputing it. Even though the Bucks are sitting in what? 5th right now. I think they're 5th. So it's not like they they've run away from anybody yet. Nobody has run away from anybody yet. It's not like they've gotten the wins that they needed. It's not like they've made the statement that they needed. Um, but ETSU has gotten the wins it needs. And I don't think Chattanooga is insurmountable. UNCG, we're going to see them on Saturday. I think that's a very gettable game. We've already seen Wafford. Wafford is pff, woof. And Furman, I also didn't think was particularly good. And I was I was really disappointed in in Furman. Um, Grace Van Rye is someone who was talked about a lot. You know, she got uh, second team all SOCON honors, I believe, last year. And she decided late in in the summer, I'm going to come back for my last year of eligibility. And Ja'Kia Davis kind of ate her lunch in that matchup. Like, she just, I don't know if she just wasn't anticipating where the bounce pass was supposed to be, where she was supposed to catch it. But Jabo seemed to have a better read on that. She got four steals, three of them came against Van Rye, and one of them was just, I think, kind of a, a loose ball, an errant pass. But like, I, I, she didn't overwhelm an ETSU team that doesn't have its primary starting leading post player. So there's. There's some concern there, I think, with the Paladins. That's a team that just, if they get into a spot where they're down in a the game, they start chucking up threes, and you start chucking up threes, and suddenly uh, you you fall into a bigger and bigger hole if you're not hitting. Kind of like Wofford, in that sense. Except Furman does have a little bit more of an interior game. And there will be games where Van Ry probably plays better, games where she goes off for a big number, but I just see, I've seen Furman at their worst and it's difficult for me to sit here and say that if that team doesn't catch some breaks that they won't be able to execute or that they will be able to execute their way out of adversity whereas I think ETSU can and I know Sanford and Mercer can't those teams can execute their way out of adversity. I don't think Chattanooga can because what it would, depends on what that adversity looks like. If it's foul trouble, if it's injuries, I don't think they can work their way through that. If it's a shooting slump, well, who cares? You only need to shoot about 28, 29% to win a game anyway. But what happens when some? if something happens to Wazira Dean? What happens if she tweaks a hamstring in practice? What happens if um you know Abby Cornelius get, elbows somebody in the mouth in practice, going for a ball. It's an accident, right? But that stuff happens in college basketball. What happens if Cornelius elbows Addie Porter in the head, like, and, and Porter has to miss two weeks? I, you know, you, that's I'm putting names on it, but what that could happen? That probably has happened to a team this year. Somewhere in Division I college basketball, somebody took an elbow to the face in practice. It was an accident. It was playing hard. It was a basketball play, but you still hurt. You still got to miss time. What happens if something weird, some weird accident like that happens to Chattanooga? I don't think they can play their way out of it if, they, if they're if they down a starter. Whereas I think other teams in the league, higher up in the standings, I think they can
2: all right, SoCon women's basketball wrap-up. Don't forget ETSU. We're probably not going to preview the uh, game, but we got men's coming up Wednesday, 7 o'clock. That's tonight, right? Yep, 7 o'clock tonight, 6.30 pregame show, and then women's 7 o'clock, 6.30 pregame show. You'll have that one, ETSU, Western Carolina. You want to talk about football? Yeah, uh, by fun? the way,
0: uh, Kendall Foley, player of the week in the SoCon for women's hoops as we wrap that up. Uh... I checked with Mike Ezekiel and he went back and we was looking for the last time an ETSU player won SOCON player of the week in women's basketball. And we believe it was Erica Haynes Overton four years ago. E H O. So she been, was good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the words of Stained, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. It's oh. been a
2: while. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't deep enough. I was too high. I was too high. I was Michael Jackson high right there instead yeah. of that.
0: All right. Let's talk. Well, we, uh, we, we level it out. We're in even flow, if you like. uh we're not going to do those anymore, are we? We're, we're not around for the, I don't know. Uh, Thoughts uh, arrive like
2: butterflies. For the for the John Ste- Ah, <laughs> <or girl. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
2: I guess nobody's... You really have had to have been a fan of the network for... You've uh, been around a long uh, yes, if time, if you, if you know you, what that means. The the super inside joke we just did, and everybody's like, I thought we were talking football. Why are these guys rambling?
0: Football, football, football,
2: football, football, All right. Ooh, yeah. Luke, go in here grab a chair. Let's talk a little football. You know what i like about football football the big uglies you know who else like big uglies mm-hmm. matt wilson yeah if he was here right now our quarterback on the broadcast as you yep. know on the radio side
0: uh, up north there, we called them the rams
2: uh there's i don't know i think i'm pretty sure i mean obviously it's an old term mm-hmm. but it really became popular at etsu during the 96 run okay. where they went to the playoffs you know they Randy Moss, smart thirteen thousand in the yeah. dome all that good fun stuff but those guys kind of took ownership in the Big Uglies. Okay. Uh, manny I think it was Manny Louisa was the one that um, eventually said it. And it was a, uh, a guy named Chewy, uh, Big Sam Haney, and all those. And I think they really embraced the Big Ugly part. Although it was one of those, like, if somebody else called them that wasn't on the team, the Big Uglies, not happy with them. Yeah. Football affectionately Big Uglies, they were happy.
0: Uh, it's like we can insult us, but you can't insult us. Tol- Same tol- concept. Totally agree. Do you know why we're talking about this? Because we have an offensive lineman here. That we do. Yeah. And we're going to ask
2: him if he prefers being called the Big Ugly or if he has another name. Not him himself, but as they line the Big Uglies, Luke Slusher. Luke, I don't know if you've ever had an introduction like that in your entire <laughs> life, and I
1: hope you never have one again like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind the line being called the Big Uglies. Yeah. I think it's I think it's fitting. It's you know. The job
2: that you're asked to do, it's one of those, you know, there's a lot of jobs in the world that have a lot of thankless stuff that people don't even understand, don't appreciate, Mm -hmm. don't get, don't know. And the only time, 97% of the time, people know your name. Why? Do you know why half the time people would know your name? When there's a penalty because your (laughs) name gets called out in Brock. That's about it. If they don't watch the starting lineup, then the only time they hear your name for the most part on most things is – because you committed a penalty. Nobody pays attention. Occasionally, like, oh, yeah, there was a a big hole. But then they don't say, well, who did that? Why Mm -hmm. did they do that? They don't break it down. So that's the one thing I enjoy about having a former quarterback, uh, Matt Wilgermann, when we have Mark when we worked with him. They go out of their way, at least on the ETSU side of things, to make sure they say your name a lot, number one, because of all the work that you guys do. They want to give credit and praise to the guys that do kind of lay the Mm -hmm. path for that to go. And for quarterbacks that like to throw the ball, like both of them did, you guys don't protect them, then clearly they don't get very successful. So, I enjoy the quarterback relationship with the linemen. We like to talk to linemen because you don't get all that stuff. Do you it. don't get people to talk about you.
0: Are you going to ask him a question?
2: I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to tell Luke why I love linemen and why I love Luke.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, Luke, welcome to Johnson City. Uh, glad to have you here. Um, how do you feel your first, you know – Four or five days settling in on campus and uh, getting into a rhythm in class as you get ready to get back in the weight room and start getting ready for spring ball.
1: You know, I'm, I'm real excited to be here. I, lo- I love the city and all, like, the like the old parts it has and mm-hmm. all the country music and just the people and how like how welcoming they are to me, and I'm ready to get to work here. What was it about this place – that made it such a fit for you when you were looking for another place to play college ball? Uh well, obviously I gotta start with the coaches, Coach Corals and Coach Duke. You know, they showed they wanted me and that they they like they really wanted me. And then when I came on my official, I went out with a few other I went out to like eat with a few other linemen and then we went back and I hung out with them at their place with some tight ends and D linemen, and I just loved it and just loved connecting with the guys and could see myself with them.
0: How much did you know? I mean, you were recruited by the offensive staff at Furman yep. coming out of high school. How much did knowing the name George Quarles, knowing the name mm-hmm. Drew Duke from going through that process with Furman help you, I guess, kind of ease into a trusting dynamic with this staff here?
1: Well, I mean, it was huge because I knew it right away because right when I entered the transfer portal, I think it took like two, three hours for Coach Duke to text me immediately and be like, my guy, like, let's get you up here. Yeah. And I was like, he's – like, they're serious about it.
2: Well, let's talk about um, some X's and, and, and O's as far as offensive line. I mean, again, a lot of fans may be not aware of positioning and stuff. Where do mm-hmm. you see yourself uh, fitting in? On the interior, center guard, outside tackles? What, what, uh, center anywhere? guard. Center guard? Yeah. Is that traditionally where you have –
1: Mm-hmm. I like- At Western Kentucky, I put center. So,
2: Are you more comfortable snapping the football and yeah. being kind of – so talk I like about it. that, because I, I and I'm 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 glad, center. Let's talk about because again, I don't think people understand. They just think the quarterback makes yeah. audibles and checks and things. Talk about a little inside the game, if you will, some of the responsibilities that a center has that most fans on our podcast yeah. probably have no idea about.
1: I mean, you're the quarterback of the offensive line. Like you're leading five guys. You have to call out all the, the mics, all the calls, slide protections, everything. Everything's based off what you say, and everybody has to listen to you. So, at Western Kentucky, was there uh, –
2: did they do hand signals, how they call in plays, and if so, was there hand signals for the line that was separate from the quarterback?
1: Uh, No, they did hand signals for the quarterback, but then the quarterback would just tell us, like – he'd tell us a number or something, or like a word. And that gives so, you you know I'm not trying to give away too much, but yeah. run
2: pass whatever right yeah. left all the all the code words that things yeah. get going people playing fast. So obviously I think that's another misconception of you know the old adage of the lineman mm-hmm. not smart guys this that, and other. you're yeah, just you big. Be smart you're just now. big nowadays. If you can't comprehend all yeah, that uh, relay information, it. listen and especially with the speed of the game, mm-hmm. the way things are going. So offensive lineman. Would you rather? I'm assuming run block than pass block. Oh, what do yeah. you like? Run.
1: Just, I like run block. Just mauling people. It's hard to get going when you're just pass blocking every play. Yeah, you, you want to be able to run somebody over.
0: You get downhill and beat yeah. people up. Yeah, that's that's
1: that's, that's a the fun best part. part of it.
0: So when did when was center the position that you're like, yeah, I can do this? And, and how many times did you airmail a snap before you got a, a rhythm down?
1: Oh, okay. So, so right when I went into my first spring ball at Western Kentucky, like in high school, I played tackle, and then the okay. coach was like. We had a few uh, interior guys hurt, and he was like, you ever played center before? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, you are today. <laughs> and I was like, all right. <laughs> so, yeah, I airmailed quite a few. Yeah.
0: yeah. Is that how, – how do you get that out of your mind? I mean, you know, we talk all the time about, you know, cornerbacks have to have an X play mentality. Quarterbacks have yeah. to have an X play mentality. I'd say you probably just had the same thing, so oh, just yeah. getting the play started.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's probably worse for a center when you airmail it because – then the, that's the only excuse because the quarterback can't mess up then. Nobody else can mess up. You can't get the play started. Yeah. So you just kind of got to close your ears and, and you got to take the ripping from the coach.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a, little, a little bit. Um, we're talking with Luke Slusher, and um, I, I I had a really interesting conversation with A.J. Blazik one time. He's the offensive line coach at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. He said, offensive line – is the one position group that is entirely self-made on a football field yep. if you get five or six guys that just eat and lift and rally around that you can build a really strong offensive line unit do you feel like the success that you've had as a football player as an offensive lineman so far in your life is is stuff that you know with with the right coaching and guidance that that is you know self-made like none of this is is given to you it's all been earned
1: yeah, I mean you gotta, like you gotta be like best friends with the guys next to you, like you because you're trusting them every play. Like you're not working by yourself; you're working together every play, and you just gotta trust them, and you gotta be able to trust them by, like having that connection. I want to ask this: so, speak running, do you prefer?
2: Um, where you just snap, go straight forward, maul a guy, or or get second level, hit a linebacker? Or or do you like pulling, getting out there, and hammering the poor little defensive backs? Um, Well, Well, he he started to smile. First of all, (laughs) Luke had smiled a whole lot. And all of a sudden I asked him which one he liked better, and I mentioned the small little guys and running them over, and he smiled a bit. But you go ahead.
1: I mean, it's nice every once in a while to get to pull and go out to those small little guys. But, I don't know, you can't do it every play.
0: Right, you can't really scream nah, that. But okay. it's
1: more satisfying to maul a bigger guy.
0: Yeah, because the bigger they are, the harder they fall.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So, what do you hope to bring to the table at East Tennessee State? Obviously, this is a group that's uh, got some opportunity for you to get on the field right away and make an immediate impact. What What do you want to
1: bring that our fans are going to see uh, on on game day Saturdays in the fall? Well, I mean, like you just said, I want to bring an immediate impact. I want to win a conference championship, and I just want this team to be a force to, rec- to be reckoned with. Let me ask you this, because I, I, I love to kind of get people's journeys yeah. on how
2: they got to where they are, college <laughs> athletics, athlete, all that. Take us through your kind of life in sports, and what did you play growing up? When did you kind of realize, hey, this, this football thing could could be the, the path for me to, to go to school and further my
1: career? Yeah. so. I was always a big basketball and football guy, all growing up, all throughout elementary, middle school, and then high school. So I went, (laughs) my brother went to this uh, little private uh, Catholic school, and I went there my freshman year and played football, and we were terrible. And so uh, I was like, Dad, I want to transfer. Like, I don't know that I can do this. Like, I want to go to this school. And so he was like, all right, but, like, you go there, like, it's no messing around like you're going there and you're going to be a dog at football. I was like, all right. So I went there. I put, play, I played football, but since I transferred, I wasn't eligible. So I could only play JV. So my whole sophomore year, I couldn't play any varsity, but then, uh, so I got through that and then basketball rolled around. I went a few weeks and I was like, you know, not for me. I just want to play football and play offensive line because All throughout then, I just wanted to play defensive line because I always loved, like, I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan, so I always loved Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap growing up, just making those big plays. But then, I don't know, I I started to play offensive line at that new school I went to, Beachwood, where I ended up graduating, and I loved it. And uh, so then got to junior year, you know, so my sophomore year, we, we were okay, but the school was a dynasty, like, we lost in the semis, and it was not good. Like people were like making fun of us at school, cool. so we were all we all had a chip on our shoulders. So junior year, we went and um, we won state. We lost two games. I started getting recruited by some schools. Senior year, we went undefeated, won state, and then uh, but so summer going into senior year, I committed to Western Kentucky, and then I early enrolled in January, so mm-hmm. I went there. Did spring ball, but I messed up. So, like a week before I I signed, the coaching staff I committed to there, they all got jobs and went to Texas Tech. So, I was like scrambling, I was like talking to my parents, I was like, what do I do? And they are like, just trust your gut. So, I stayed, I went, I went early, early enrolled, loved spring ball. And then uh, the season got around and I was just like, I don't want to wait to play, like I want to get on the field. So then I was like, I'm going in the portal, mom and dad. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> and then this happened. You you
0: said, I mean, you, you had to wait to play in high school, too. Because yeah. Because you weren't eligible because you transferred. Mm-hmm. How challenging was that? I mean, as you kind of look back on it, how tough was that to do? And how did you get through that time where, you know, you're – 16 years old, you still don't have a ton of perspective. Everything that happens to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you, you know, that kind of thing. How do you get through a a huge period of adversity like that, waiting for something that you know is on the other side?
1: Yeah, it was tough, but, like, I just had to go in every day because the head coach was big on me. He loves me. Like, he still loves me. And uh, he was just like, hey, like, you're just going to be a practice squad player, and I just want you to maul the starters. Like, just get them better because we need it. And I was like, all right. So, I just did that every day, continue to see myself getting better and better. And I don't know. I just found a – I had a joy in it, like, getting the starters yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy, but, like, that was the only thing that was, like, <laughs> keeping my hopes so- high. So the
2: thing I learned about Luke that makes him smile when I ask him if he gets to maul little guys and then when he said he mauls starters and gets them yelled yeah, at. So I, I think he, I,
0: see, yeah. I see a theme of what makes him a good offensive line. He, w- he wants to beat people up on a football field. He wants to get people yelled at on a football field. <laughs> That's th- Those yep. those are simple goals and uh, very achievable goals as mm-hmm. well, I think, given, given the situation you're walking into here. So let's talk about um, a little
2: off-the-field stuff. What are some things that um you like to do that's that's not football related
1: uh i love uh i love video games obviously Mm -hmm. i love i play xbox a lot um so
0: now are you like strictly like madden call of duty or you get into some different stuff some rpgs or what
1: i'm big madden call of duty okay i just got back into fortnite okay yeah yeah um i don't know some little games like I have a little, like, month spurt on a game or two. you got,
0: you got to be careful with Fortnite because that will yeah. take you
1: to two in the morning in a hurry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. <I> well,
0: <laughs> Oh, man. I, I've, I've lived you're that like, life. You're always I'm like, one sure. more game. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're winning one, this one. One, one more. more. Just one more. One more. more. <laughs> yep. And then everyone's like, 15, 20 minutes, because you're getting deeper and deeper in, and you're yep. like, uh, uh, one more.
1: Yeah, come on. We just got second. We can't end on that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: What a time. What a yeah. time. And then uh, I love, like, listening to music. Concerts are really fun. Uh, just hanging out with the boys.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you you big country music guy, bluegrass, any of yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, you're from Cincinnati area. I don't think yeah. bluegrass is necessarily as big there as it is like Eastern Kentucky, but mm-hmm. um, you know that's that's huge here. I mean, you you and Jamie Call, you're both gonna love it. Down yeah, there. we were just <laughs> talking in the training room about it. Yeah, yeah. there
2: you go. I gave him some tips on uh, some local stuff you can, you can go mm-hmm. to. The Country Music Hall of Fame is down in Bristol, 30 minutes away. It's it so, uh, really up, up it, in Bristol, isn't up, it? It is, it is. It's kind of north. Yeah, it's kind of north. Uh, the other thing I think our, our fan base is excited about when they, they see where you're from is ETSU has had, uh, I don't want to say a pipeline, that's, that's a that's a bit bold statement, but we've had several folks from mm-hmm. Ohio uh, and are specifically near kind of that Cincinnati uh, uh, area that have come in and make yeah. significant impact. So they're, they're, um, I don't, it's definitely not pressure because you're coming mm-hmm. in to be your own man, but yeah. there is a lot of success that come in there. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of times that I'm saying, Hey, where's he from? I'm like, oh, Ohio. And they're like, Cincinnati. And I'm like, Well, yeah. And they're like, Oh, so they get, they get excited. So we've had good success um, from Ohio because I think. You know, you look at Ohio and, what, there's Youngstown State, and I think that's the only other um, FCS team that's in the, the state. Everything else, I think, is FBS. I mean, yeah, everything I else
1: is like MAC. Yeah, so. schools. So, there's, there's,
2: you're, there's no. Know, there's see Yeah, there's no yeah. real level change. Yeah. Just all or nothing as far as that goes besides uh, Youngstown. And, again, not that far. What, four and a half hour, five hour drive, it yeah. was it? Something like that. Mm-hmm. So, family and everything can come on down and, and watch. And, oh, they'll be at the games. So, uh Talk about your uh, personally personal. What are your goals the next couple years playing for ETSU?
1: Well, obviously, I I want to start out. And I want to start first year. I'd like to I'd like to uh, be a all conference player and uh, shoot for the stars. I want to be a FCS all American if I can. Yeah. Well, Joe Schreiber was an a
0: all-conference center playing that same yeah. spot, so certainly uh, there's a lot of respect for the offensive line at ETSU, I think, around the league in general and, and the guys that have filled those roles in the past, and uh, I think we got another one, Jay, that's sitting right here that's going to be able to to keep that tradition going.
2: And the good news for Luke is ETSU has a tradition of trying to run the football and have a strong run game, not do the, the as much oh, yeah. up-tempo and just chunk it around, so usually that leads to uh, helping linemen attain some of those mm-hmm. goals, and... Luke's already stated uh, he likes to run the football, likes the mall people, <laughs> big guys, likes the mall them all. So, Luke, we appreciate you taking the time and uh, welcome to Johnson City yep. and welcome to ETSU, and we'll be catching up with you uh, after spring, going into the next season. Look forward to pulling for you.
1: Thanks for having me. All
0: right, Luke Slusher, we like him too. I like yeah. everybody. I, I like I like him. I think he's going to be. A really nice piece on the offensive line somewhere on the interior. I mean, you, you and I were kind of thinking maybe center. So we talked about center a lot. I was but thinking also center. Could be a little bit of guard action. It felt like he may
2: be more comfortable at guard but wasn't opposed to center. Okay. I'll be honest. It sounded like to me he didn't care where he played. And and he and just wanted to hit people. He really wants to hit people. <laughs> hit
0: people smi-
2: I kid you not. The smile that he would have when I would ask him about mauling people. I mean, it just changed his whole demeanor. The whole room lit up, and it's a very dark room, so you can definitely notice the difference. And I made sure he left before I got up. I don't want to get speared on the way out because he seemed <laughs> to he was sizing me up, realizing
0: that I was a small guy too. All right, so. Thursday show, Thursday,
2: go Thursday show, show, Thursday, Friday, someday we're gonna talk results. Jan Keith,
1: right in, right, Eric. Results oriented business. Oh, you gotta be kidding me!